No, so I am super excited about this series. Uh, this was uh, one that I'd been thinking about for a while now, and so um, I'm excited to be able to have Aaron and, and Garrett and Ronnie uh, do a lot of the speaking on this. We're going to take a lot of turns, so you're going to hear a lot from us over the next seven or eight weeks. And um, I just think it's a super timely thing. But before we get into that, I thought I would tell you, I'm super tired today. This is a really ridiculous story, but I think it will relate. So Penelope lately, my daughter, you know, she's a little over two. She has been having a hard time sleeping. And so Jamie Ann has been going out and sleeping on the couch in the living room with her just to give me a little bit of sleep because I'm already a bad sleeper. So I had started with my iPad and my phone in the bed last night, just kind of finishing up on the sermon. And so I fell asleep with that stuff in my bed, and I woke up, because I guess I pushed my iPad off my bed, and it kind of startled me, so I woke up, then I thought I heard a noise behind me, and so I turned my flashlight on and just kind of like set it over the edge of the bed, so where the, the light could still shine on the floor, and I could kind of see, I was being a bit of a scaredy cat. And I guess I shifted or something in bed, and I just see everything go super dark, and I was convinced that something moved my phone. <laughs> and because we have one of those beds where it's like you can shift and move and the other side doesn't move at all. And I kept doing the test and I was like hopping up in bed and it wasn't moving again. I was like, something moved that. I went and woke Jamie Ann up. <laughs> and I came in and I explained to her because then in hindsight, I was thinking this happened a couple days ago. I was in the living room and I put a blanket over Penelope and I saw the blanket move out of the corner of my eye. I was like, what? So I moved it back, and I turned my head, and it did it again. And so, I don't know. I was convinced. But you know how that is. When you're sleeping, you're groggy, you'll think anything. So I'm sure it was nothing. Or it was an attack on the sermon this morning. We'll maybe go with that one. But anyway, um, so I'm going to start my timer here. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to, to say some of my introductory thoughts since I'm on a timer now. But uh, I did just very briefly, uh, you guys have not gotten to hear from me, Garrett and Aaron, a ton, just kind of on this transition. And I just wanted to, to kind of say in front of you guys just how excited I am to be on a team with Aaron and Garrett. And uh, it is a blessing. You know, I get to say this to some people, but a lot of you guys don't know. You know, I've grown up in this church. I've never had any expectations to get to lead at Garland long-term, or really ever to lead. I've never tried to aim to lead a church. That's not something that Ronnie ever pushed on us. He's talked about that. There's never any expectations for us to go into ministry at all. You know, and that's just not how we lead anyway. We don't see that as the pinnacle. I just want to serve God wherever He wants me. Um, But I feel very honored, you know, and unworthy a lot of times just to get to be where I am. And I just thank God that I get to be a part of that team. Um... We joke with Garrett as he jokes with us, but Garrett has been an awesome addition. You know, you guys can see that. I get to hear you talk about him, and, uh, you know, I think he knows just how loved and he respected he is here. But, uh, yeah, I just, I really love those guys a lot, and I know they love you and love this church a lot, and I really appreciate y'all's support because we know how hard it is, uh, you know, to have somebody like Ronnie not even just step down, but just step back and have three younger guys, even though I'm 39 now, uh, to yummy, some of you, I'm really young. And so um, I was supposed to be a joke, but uh, bad delivery per se. Um, Yeah, but I would just say it's even hard for me. I was sharing this with Jay the other day. It's like there's still kind of that little boy within me that almost selfishly just wants to sit on the pew and just watch my dad forever. 
but I can't do that. You know, that I, I have to step up in some way. And so whether that be at Garland long term or not, um, you know, I, I feel and hear God calling me and I want to be faithful to that. So I just say I really appreciate y'all's support in the transition. You know, that stuff is hard because we have no, you know, formula for it. It's, it's messy and we've all felt that a little bit. But uh, I, I just could not respect Ronnie more because I know how hard that is. You guys know his heart. You know he's a driver. You know, and he wants to die doing what he loves and what God called him to do. And it's hard to step back. It's hard to watch people make changes. And, you know, we've always kind of had that axiom in our ministry of, you know, if you play your rookies, you're going to have rookie mistakes. And, you know, I, I love that he's allowed guys like me to get up and make rookie mistakes. I think back to some of my sermons 10 years ago, and I'm like, ugh, it's cringe for me. I can only imagine how cringe it was for some of you. But uh, I appreciate not only Ronnie, but just you guys all investing in me and Aaron and Garrett and guys like Court, the Frenchman. So <laughs> I'd never heard that. I like that. I'm going to use that from now on. So the way that we're going to do this series is really topical. I had just been thinking about the need just of wise living, to be able to have some talks on like anger and wealth and justice, um, fearing God. Garrett's going to do that next week, and I'm, ex- I'm super excited about that one. I'll mention a little bit about that today and hope I don't step on his toes too much. Um, but I know for myself, I sense lots of areas that I feel like I'm still a bit foolish. And so I would hope that as we come into the series that you would not harden your heart and that you would be open-minded, come in with an open heart and be willing to let God convict you on areas that you're not living according to His gospel. Amen? Some of the things that kind of came to my mind when I was thinking about objectives, you know, I think about 1 Peter 2 where he talks about living in a pagan society. We do. We live in a pagan society. And it's important that we live lives worthy of the gospel and that people can look at us and although they may see us and not like what we're doing and not agree with it and not even see it as good, um, you know, and we're going to have to deal with some level of persecution from that and, and sneers, but that many of those, at least some of those, would see it and their, their hearts and minds and ears would perk up to that and fall in love with the gospel through the way that we live, that we live in a countercultural fashion. Amen? You know, I also think about uh, Isaiah forty-eight eighteen. This is one I've probably mentioned up here quite a bit, but it's just a scripture I think about a lot where he says, you know, if only you had listened to me, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Raise your hand if that's ever hit you and convicted you. I'm like, idiot, idiot, I should have listened. I've just had so many of those moments. And uh, we don't have to make those foolish mistakes. I appreciate John Von Ronnen. Many of you know he leads our, our church in Wiley. He was my youth minister for many years. And he would always just say, go make a new mistake. Don't make the same mistake that I've made. That's why we need community. We need to share the mistakes that we've made and have some vulnerability and have some humility so we can guard each other and protect each other from making foolish, foolish mistakes. You know, I've talked about that with just some of my attitudes with school and even with dating. I had every reason to do both of those and every resource to be able to do both of those really well. And initially I did both of those very poorly because I thought I was right and I thought I knew a better way. And I had to, to eat uh, the, the fruit of my ways, and that was not pleasant. So yeah, just come with an open mind. So this is what I want to do today. It's very introductory. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the purpose of Proverbs. 
and I want to talk a little bit about the characteristics of the wise and the foolish and what exactly is, does it mean to be wise, what does it mean to be foolish. I want to talk a little bit about lady wisdom and lady folly or woman folly from Proverbs and because I think that there's some really powerful imagery there that will really help kind of orient us for this series and give us a good lens to, to view some of these topics. And then if I have time, I'm going to kind of end with some tips. Uh, This may end up being a part two next week. We'll see. So first off, I want to read Proverbs 1, 1 through 6. I I didn't have time to make slides, so if you want my notes, as usual, I'm happy to send these out. Happy to send commentaries and resources, any things that you need. So just touch base with me after. But Proverbs 1, 1 through 6 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So that's a lot. There's five purposes laid out here. I just want to go through these briefly. So the first one is for gaining wisdom and instruction. In Hebrew, The word to know was used differently than a lot of us. You know, we talk a lot about kind of this this intellectual assent to belief, and a lot of us just don't practice what we preach. To know something to the Hebrew mind was to know it intellectually, but then also to put it into practice. Failing to do what we know is the definition of foolishness. And it is one of the major reasons so many people have lost taste for the Christian life. Because they see so much hypocrisy. We, we claim to believe one thing and we live according to a different set of rules. One of the chief aims of the book of Proverbs is to bring divine truth into proper focus. Enabling us to look at the life he's given us through his eyes because he knows best how it's supposed to be lived. From his eternal all-knowing point of view. Proverbs teaches us how to gain wisdom from God's reproofs, his correction, so that in the power of the Spirit, we're going to, we will obey. Secondly, for understanding words of insight. You know, some scriptures use this word of discern, which I think is a pretty crucial term. It just means to separate, to make distinct. Discernment is the ability to look at a situation and clearly see all its moving parts. A discerning mind has the ability to think critically and to distinguish Good from bad, truth from error. That's why he tells us spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. There's no way to be smart enough to know this stuff. They're a gift from God and they're known by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why you see some of the smartest, most intelligent people on the planet saying some really stupid stuff. For receiving instruction and prudent behavior. This word prudent just means acting with care and thought for the future. So... Proverbs helps us uh, gain this awareness for life and the journey of life, that we think to the future, that we consider the, the consequences of our, way, uh, of our ways, and that we have this new alertness. For giving prudence to the simple. The Hebrew concept of wisdom doesn't put ignorance and foolishness in the same category. The term rendered naive just literally means simple. Those who have not experienced much of life or have not yet benefited from education are like workers without tools or warriors without weapons. 
Youthful and naive people approach life poorly equipped, which again is why we need community and why we push um, having generational, multi-generational relationships. That's why we do those lunches. That's why we encourage you not to skip out on those. Young people, they need you older people. And older people, you need younger people. And I know we desire that, and we talk a lot about it up here, but we just fall into this trap and this lie of thinking, I have nothing to give them. And that's not true. It's simply not true. And you won't discover the truth of that until you get uncomfortable and you go and you participate in some of those things. So the sages, these proverbs, are offering intellectual and spiritual equipment to the the simple. It also makes a pretty good insult. You can just call somebody simple. I think I'm going to start doing that with our teens a little bit. Not all of you are simple, just a couple of you. Um, And then lastly, for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. These sayings help us to think keenly. Divine wisdom will give our minds a razor sharp edge. And, you know, you think about like sharpening, sharpening a knife. It's a pretty uncomfortable process. It requires friction to stay sharp. That is just a difficult thing of community. I think many of us sense the need but we're just too scared to have it. And many of us will get into this with some of the different types of fools, but we just think we know better than we do. Divine wisdom gives us the ability to understand more of life's riddles. And then before long, the grind of a merely human viewpoint will slowly be replaced by the wisdom of God's perspective. You know, in Proverbs, little is said on afterlife and the stress is laid on this life. We talk about that again from the pulpit a lot. But this life matters. This life matters. How all of this is going to to go into eternity and what are the effects and consequences going to be, we don't know all of that. But there are eternal repercussions and echoes and ripples that are going to go into eternity. And so we need to have this this high level of responsibility in living the life the way that Jesus lived it. If he is the prototype of mankind and he showed us what done right looks like, we need to be doing that now to the best of our ability. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is our standard. And that's easy to forget because we want to forget it. I want to forget that. You know, this goes back to one of our uh, three values we've kind of been pushing, uh, pitching to you guys is intentional living. This is a great opportunity to really push on that, to live intentionally in every single area of your life and to not compartmentalize. So wisdom and foolishness. What is wisdom? Wisdom comes from this word, um, I'm not... Uh, a Greek scholar, I'm going to butcher these. I didn't have time to go listen to the pronunciation, so just bear with me. But hakma, it's used 45 times in Proverbs, and I, this was new to me. This is really neat. It just refers to the skill of a craftsman. So workers that are knowledgeable or experienced or efficient in what they do, you know, whether that's a woodworker or a sailor or a pianist, um, that it refers to this skill set. It's somebody that possesses this hakma in relation to God is both knowledgeable of the things of God, but they're also experienced in living those things out. They're skilled in godly living, and they do everything they do from a godly viewpoint. A fool simply 
Um, well, there's, there's a lot of nuance here. There's five different words um, in the Hebrew for, for full. But I think at bottom, it's somebody that lives their life without the acknowledgement of God. Which is why he says that the beginning of knowledge is, is the fear of God. And we'll get into those scriptures. You know, we're warned over and over about fools throughout Scripture, but especially in Proverbs, that to associate them will bring destruction. And so not only is this an opportunity to, to assess our own lives and where we're being foolish, where it's hurting us, but also where it may be hurting our brothers and sisters, especially for some of our younger people, but I think it applies to all, looking to who we're hanging out with that may be foolish. What foolish people do we go to to get advice And what has been the fruit of that in the past? Where do I need to maybe change where I get advice or maybe change who I hang out with? So different types of fools. There's the simple fool. There's the silly fool. The sensual fool. Which, by the way, i got to make a complaint here. Somebody did not renew our Word doc subscription, and so I could do no editing to my sermon this morning because I've lost the ability to do that. So you sinner, you need to get back there and renew that subscription. So I'm going to be getting lost a lot this morning. Um, So yeah, the simple fool, the silly fool, the sensual fool, the scorning fool, and the steadfast fool. So the simple fool comes from this word pethy. It implies extreme vulnerability. Um, The literal meaning is to be opened up. The simple fool is prey to any passing thought and is quick to open his arms to a stranger. They're gullible and they lack discernment. They have an oversimplified view of life and they fail to recognize the cause and effect sequences of life. They're especially vulnerable to seduction. The scorning fool loves to go and find the simple fool and be their hero and guide. We see this a lot in teen ministry. We see this a lot in community in general. The silly fool comes from this word evi, to be perverse, silly. The silly fool believes his own way of thinking is best and right, seeks a good time, has fun breaking the rules, committed to poor friends, retains guilt for wrongdoing. Argument and persuasion and advice really begins to be a struggle and a source of frustration because it's difficult to correct a silly fool in their, in their ways. The sensual fool rejects the correction of parents and authority in general. This is the word kassil. It means fat, stupid, silly. Um, It's hard to listen to these because they're just so insulting. I don't know why fat has to be in there. (laughs) I think you can be a fool without being fat, but nonetheless, uh, it's insulting. Um, Denotes a person that is hell-bent on making his own wrong choices. Haven't we all been there before? He doesn't lack mental intelligence, but just rather rejects the wisdom of God. Focus on, is on bringing immediate pleasure. He's skilled in deception. And severe punishment is often necessary. I can't help but relate to some of this. Just that being hell-bent, um, rejecting the wisdom of God. You know, I, I think some of this, again, goes back to kind of my foolishness with my attitude with school and, and dating and just kind of going my own way. And then above and beyond that, this extra layer of foolishness, thinking that what I'm doing is good and noble and wise. I'm wiser than everybody else because I'm closer to it and I see it best and they don't see all the good stuff here. 
when really I have the worst vantage point. It's right here, and I'm tainted by all my emotion. These are simple elementary principles, aren't they? Yet we still fall victim to them constantly. We need people that are objective, that are further out, that can see the bigger picture, and we need to be willing to just trust them. And that's so hard to do. The scorning fool seeks out simple fools. I said that before. Seeks to be their guides. This comes from this word lutes. It's to make mouths at, to scoff. So you get this additional picture of this expressing disdain for the things of God. Now, now, not do I only reject the wisdom of God, I have disdain for the wisdom of God. This fool expresses disdain and contempt for authorities, be it parents, civil authorities, God. We see a lot of that for civil authorities today. Creates unrest and contention wherever he goes. Rejects truth and embraces that which is abominable to God and turns a deaf ear to correction and rebuke. And then you have the steadfast fool, the most dangerous type. This comes from the word um, nabal, stupid, wicked, elsewhere translated as a vile person. He totally rejects God in his ways. I think this is what Psalms 14.1 is using when he says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. This fool is the nabal fool. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. They're self-confident and close-minded. He is his own God. Freely gratifies his, his lower nature and lives according to it. Um, it was hard to pick. I thought it would be helpful if I just kind of share some different characteristics of the wise and the foolish. Um, and I really just picked kind of four that I felt like undergirded a lot of the other ones. So the first one is fear God. Again, Garrett will get into the nitty gritty of this next week. But in Proverbs 1, 7, um, this is what he says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's um, John Golding Gay in his commentary. He uh, translates it. I forgot to put it on here, but something to the degree of like, this is the first principle, the awe of Yahweh. The awe of Yahweh. I love that translation. You know, we get fear of God, but I think fear is a big part of the awe. Are you in awe with God? And do you recognize that He is somebody not to be trifled with? Do I do everything I do for my God out of this fear that I'm always looking over my shoulder? No. Just like a good dad or a good mother doesn't want their kids walking around in fear of them all of the time, but I do want my kids to recognize... I am in control. I do have power over you. You don't cross me. You know, my dad would do that a lot, you know, and, and kind of tell us like, hey, you know, I am your friend, but I'm your dad first. And if you're going to make me choose between the two, I'm going to be your dad. And we need to communicate that more to each other and our kids, but we also need to recognize that with, with our God. And we, we were, I think, sometimes get too casual in our in our. Uh, language with God. You know, it's, uh, if you do this, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm really trying to challenge kind of the, the attitude and posture behind it. Where we come to God and we're like, hey, buddy, I think maybe that can be kind of a fine line. Or like, hey, dude, it's like, I, I, I am in a, in a friendship relationship, but not only, he's my God. He is my friend, but he's my God. And I need to make sure I'm coming to him with this complete reverence that I don't trifle with the one that can throw me wholly into hell. Whatever that means. You know, this echoes 
Ecclesiastes, you know, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. This is the alpha and omega of knowledge. It begins with the proper attitude of God. And fools operate without that acknowledgement. Two, they're teachable. I just realized I didn't write this out. I'm going to pull this up real quick. So um, in Proverbs 12.1, I'm going to read this to you. It just says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Ouch. Whoever hates correction is stupid. You know, you've heard me share this, but that was me in my younger years. I hated correction. I took it so personally. And often it's hard because as you're in community and you find these people that you love and respect, you want to put your best face forward. And it can be exceptionally hard to take correction from people that you want to make most proud. Isn't it? You guys get that? And and so I would end up wanting to put forward this false perspective rather than realize this is somebody that loves me, accepts me for who I am, but doesn't want me to stay there and believes in me enough to, to want to call me higher. What better love is there than that? The love that's willing to step on your toes and call you higher. That is love. That is what it means to be, to be somebody's biggest fan. You've heard Ronnie talk about that a lot. If you're not willing to challenge your brothers and sisters, you're not their biggest fan. As much as you think you maybe um, are protecting them by always rubbing their belly, you're not. You're doing them a disservice. But wise people are teachable and they love instruction. And that comes from, from this realistic image of yourself. You've finally come to this point you realize... I don't have it all together. I don't know it all. I keep bungling, my, bungling up my situation. Bungling? Is that a word? Um, you know, I, I keep messing things up and making my situation worse for myself. And I just want to lean on God, the God that is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And He's a God that wants what's best for me and knows what's best for me. I'm just going to lean on Him and recognize that He's not going to explain everything to me. But I have enough of Scripture and I have enough of history in my life or the body's life to know that this is a God that knows what He's doing. He's not going to take away every problem. He's not going to smooth everything out. But this is a God that knows what He's doing and He truly is a God that's working out the best for His people. It takes true trust. That's why we we talk about this word faith. It comes from this word pistis that both implies belief in something and also the faithful living. It comes back to what we were talking about that word to know. Is that it's like me sitting in a chair. For me to sit in the chair, I have to sit and put my whole weight on it. If I do anything other than that, and I'm kind of keeping my booty up above the chair, you're going to look at me and be like, what are you doing? You look ridiculous. But many of us do that in our faith walks. We don't fully sit into the chair of God. Is that a weird new figurative language? I couldn't think of anything uh, fancy there. But yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, We don't fully sit into it and fully trust God. And that's what he's calling for us to do. He's saying, sit down, relax. You can trust me. 
You know, in 1215, he moves on. He talks about, you know, the foolish being wise in their own eyes. They have an unrealistic perspective on themselves and on the world and what they're capable of. Fourthly, um, wise people... I've got to get back to my timer here. Yeah, this is going to be two parts. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry. Um, um, they hate falsehood and they love truth. And I think there's an important distinction to make here because I think it's easy to love truth but not hate falsehood to the degree that you should. You know? I mean, because I, I, I see that in my own life. I, I love reading Scripture and things about the Scripture, but I also find myself running to sin too often. I'm too quick to vent anger. I'm too quick to look at things I shouldn't look at. Um, I'm too uh, quick to covet things that God doesn't desire me to covet. I mean, you go down the list. You have to hate falsehood. God hates sin. He hates it. He utterly hates it. And too many of us are falling into these kind of Sunday school notions of sin and we look at something and think, oh, that's not that bad. I know it's, I know it's bad, but we forget that it's all connected to the same thing. And it, it, the desire and, it, and the intent is always the same. To totally corrupt you. To totally have you. Satan is pleased and satisfied with nothing else. When you just step over the line into a little white lie, this is connected to the same being, Satan, that laughs at babies being killed, at people being raped, people being beheaded for their faith. It's the same thing. You cannot truly and fully love the truth without hating falsehood. And then I would just lastly add on to that, that these are the wiser people that are led by the Holy Spirit. They're led by the Holy Spirit and they lean on Him. They seek Him. They call out to Him. They believe in Him and trust in Him to speak to them. And they're diligent and um, unwavering in seeking after Him and seeking guidance from Him rather than just willy-nilly making the decisions of their life. This is something that I'll I'll talk about at the end next week. But, um, you know, do we ever stop and ask as we make decisions, is this wise? Is this God-honoring? Is this people-honoring? Is this kingdom-honoring? Does this represent my God well? That it has repercussions beyond me? Do we stop and ask that? Do we seek that counsel from our community? Or do we just go into what we want to do with our uh, you know, own sense of what is right? Because you know, you've heard me and many others say, we're really good at convincing ourselves that what we want is not only right, but that it's good. When it's... Nothing good. Okay, I'm going to wrap up here and pray us out. I have one minute left. I deserve applause for that. Come on. That's a, that's a rarity. So what we'll do next week is um, I will wrap us up with talking a little bit about lady wisdom and woman folly. Um, and I think that's the, the really juicy and meaty stuff, and I'll be super excited to get into that with you. Um, and then give you some tips for just getting the most out of the series from uh, here on out. Uh, Pray with me. God, we love you so much. You're an awesome God. We thank you just for uh, being a God that reveals yourself to us, giving us the the means and ability to to hear you and see you at work 
um, and uh, the ability to apply uh, what we see and we hear from you. And I just pray that you can give us great courage as we enter into the series to, to be convicted and to be shaped and transformed uh, by your truth. And I just pray that we can do that in a loving fashion with each other and give us great wisdom and discernment, not only for ourselves, but how we challenge each other um, along in this and that we can grow to look more like you. You're an awesome God. Amen.